certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Following the disappearance of Jane Rimmer, police took photographs from inside the childcare worker's apartment. Today, those pictures were shown in court, a montage frozen in time. I'm Natalie Bongiolo. Joining us for day 20 of Claremont and Conversation is legal affairs editor Tim Clark calling in from court. Hi, guys. And also from the West Australian newspaper, reporter Shannon Hampton, who's joining us for the first time. Welcome. Um, Thank you. Now, like Tim, you've been in court every day since the trial began. What's your role? Yeah, that's right. Um, my role, I'm one of the uh, three reporters that the West has on their court team. And um, during the trial, I've been filing for the west.com.au. Um, and a bit like Emily, um, trying to give, um, you know, updates as quickly as possible. But my role is um, more crafting a story um, from the evidence um, into a story as quickly as I can. And so basically taking all that information, um, pulling it together and getting that out to the digital sphere, you know, really almost immediately, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So it involves a lot of multitasking, um, trying to write a story while still listening to the evidence. Um, and yeah, yeah, um, I've been running back and forth, t- um, you know, to be in court some of the time and in the media room at other times. So yeah, it's quite busy. And when you're running, I'm just curious because I haven't been there, when you're running backwards and forwards, how far is that? <laughs> um, the media room is on level one and the court is on level seven. So um, it's, a, it's a lift ride. <laughs> so you're both getting fit. Yes. <laughs> yes, we're getting on steps in that, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, we'll be super fit by the end of it, if not knackered. Um, I, I just imagining that today um, the idea of these photographs that have been taken all those years ago and, and give us a snapshot of Jane's life at that time, I think that must have felt quite intimate today to be seeing those photographs from inside her flat. Yeah, it was, Nat. Um, we touched on it with um, uh, with Damien on, on Monday about this um, image of a time capsule um, being sort of unearthed with all the evidence that we're seeing and that and that was that was definitely the case to see where Jane lived obviously right up until the moment that she left that flat and and, and tragically and sadly never returned um, and it was it, it was a, it is a snapshot and was a snapshot of of how she lived and and how she was um, making her way in the world as a as a young um, obviously well liked um, pretty um, 23 year old childcare worker who who was you know just starting out in in life really and that was her her first flat um, and it looked exactly maybe as you as you as you'd expect a young woman's first apartment to look in the mid 90s um, it was small but it was neat um, and it had various things that you'd expect sort of left out and about in the in the flat washing basket the ironing board the posters on the wall the stereo under the the dresser um it was it was it was just a as you say a a perfect snapshot in time of of where jane's life was at that time um and unfortunately 
Um, it is now frozen in time because mm. she never got to never got to go back there. And could you see uh, the contents of the flat, you know, in detail in these photographs? I mean, you, could you see who the posters on the wall were and those sorts of things? Yeah, so there were posters of Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley, um, which were obviously a little bit um, aged even then in '96. <laughs> but um, it was it was obviously an era that that interested Jane because they they were quite prominent on the wall, and they were and they were they, they were forensic photos. They were obviously taken for a reason. Um, after Jane had gone missing, this was before her body was um, discovered. Police had a missing persons report and needed to investigate that and so went to her apartment found her car still parked there and and gained entry into the flat and took as many photographs as they felt they needed to to carry on that missing persons investigation so all the rooms were photographed her bedroom um with the it was very poignant for me the the teddy bear still placed on the pillow of the, of the double bed. They even took photographs inside her bins to, 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 and her receipts and doctor's um, receipts and things like that, basically to gain as much information as they can about this young woman who at that time was, was missing and, and any clues that might have been left behind. And similarly, her car, um, which was outside, uh, a grey Mazda with quite bright purple interior, with a um, with a denim jacket still left on the back, um, sort of folded over the back of of the passenger seat. So it really was a, a, a snapshot, frozen mm. in time, of this young woman who was making her way in life, still living in her life, still enjoying her life, until that life was was taken from her. I mean, I guess it's common practice for this to happen, but you know, it just does seem so desperately heartbreaking, doesn't it, when yeah, someone walks out of their apartment never to return indeed and what um the, these photos were, were first shown earlier in the week um when when jane's brother adam and sister lee were in court so what they must have been thinking to see that little vignette of their sister um you can you can only imagine and, it, and it's, it's always sad um to see someone's life as it was being lived but was was never to be lived again, um, relived in a court where you know that um, that they've been brutally and and callously killed, um, just going about their daily business. Was Jane's family present today? No, they weren't, um, because what we understand is, and what Carmel Barbagallo, the prosecutor, explained was they know the type of evidence that's coming this week, which is obviously graphic and dis- disturbing um, and at times um, grisly and macabre. And so they've been given the option or they, they basically said, we don't want to be there for that, particularly Jane's family um, as, as they weren't there. But as he has been pretty much every day of the trial, um, Dennis Glennon was there again today, sat in the front row, listening intently, um, even as, some very um, you know, graphic details were relayed in court um, by one of the detectives who was the first on the scene at, at his daughter's um, uh, crime scene where, where Kira's body was found. So who took, um, who takes the photos and are the same people then dispatched, um, you know, when a body is discovered? 
Yeah, so that was what was explained in court today. There was a, there was obviously the macro task force, which we discussed, which was the team of detectives that were tasked when it was obvious that there was a serial killer at, at work in Perth. But forensically, there were it sounds like there were quite a small, tight group of, of forensic scientists, obviously very specialised, who were all working on on this investigation as well. And so the for instance the first one of the first witnesses today was um, Michael Taracci who was the videographer and so it transpired that he had not only taken the video at the scene where Jane's body was discovered but he then the next day had to turn around and shoot the post-mortem of Jane and the same process he undertook when Kira's body was discovered as well so he was probably one of the only investigators in the whole um uh, um, in, in the in the whole scene that was actually at every stage from where the body was discovered going right through to the post-mortem and he, he was the one with the, the huge responsibility of, of, of documenting it on video um, so at some stage down the track if it was needed it could be played in court and that day came today So he's uh, called as a witness so he's in court mm-hmm. is he being played the video that he took all those years ago? Yeah, um, yes, de- definitely parts of it um, to explain where he walked and, and the process and what he did and when he got there and what time he got there and who he was with and who he spoke to. And most pointedly, obviously, again, he was asked whether he got anywhere near the body near enough to touch it or possibly, um, from a defence point of view, possibly contaminate it. So he was um, taken through some of that video, not all of it, but certainly some of it. Um, and there was one uh, quite a lighter moment during the during the day when he was actually shown a photograph of himself in one of those post-mortems with the camera on his shoulder and with the white um, overall on, um, which was taken by the photographer who was taking photos of the post-mortem as well um, to, sh- to show exactly what he looked like, what the camera equipment looked like, and what his personal protective equipment looked like that he was wearing in the... Uh, in that mortuary, they were quite. Um, he explained as well that it, you know, it wasn't just a typical, um, you know, home video camera either. It was mm. worth about thirty thousand dollars, and it was similar to um, the kind of camera equipment that TV crews used. So he explained that um, the lenses were also, um, you know, quite high tech, so that he could put them on a tri- the camera on a tripod and zoom in. He didn't have to get. Um, you know, that close to the bodies. And was that part of the questioning as to whether he went in further with the camera or how far back could he see things, um, that kind of thing? Yeah, that was um, that was a lot of the questioning, um, particularly from the defence lawyer, Paul Jovic. Um, and also, um, Mr Jovic focused on a 15-minute gap um, that was in the footage um, when he was at... Uh, yeah, Miss Clannan's um, um, scene um, where he was, they were, they were taking video up there. Um, it, it, looking at the video logs or the, the timestamps on the videos, um, it showed that it, there was a, a, quite a big jump, um, 15 minutes in fact, there was a gap there. And, um, and Mr. Tarachi had to explain or how how that happened, and and his explanation that, that he that he revealed today was that his battery went flat, um, and so he 
had to go back to his car to get another battery um, to um, to fire up the camera again so he could continue shooting. Um, but in that time, uh, six or seven exhibits were actually taken from Miss Glennon's body um, and placed in uh, forensic jars by the sound of it. Um, and we hadn't heard that before today. And that, depending on what those exhibits were that were taken while the video wasn't being taken, that could become quite significant because if one of those does happen to be the DNA that was taken from under Miss Glennon's fingernails, which we know is the you know, $64 million piece of evidence, then that could become quite significant because you would hope and expect, really, that something so important as those fingernail scrapings would be captured on camera so anyone who needed to see the exact uh, method done to take those scrapings could watch it on video so that might be an interesting uh, sidebar to to come. Something um, I thought was personally um, interesting was that Mr Tarachi said that it wasn't the practice at the time to tell um, the investigators who were collecting evidence um, that he wasn't recording. He said that it was just expected that they would they would notice that the you know the camera wasn't recording. Which um, uh, yeah, I, I just found that quite strange to be honest. So mm. instead of halting proceedings mm. and saying, "Hang on a second, let me change my battery, and then we'll all get going again," um, that's why that gap could have potentially happened. That's right. Yeah, and it, it sounded like well, we all know what it's like when you when well, these days when your phone goes flat, as mine did during the podcast last night. <laughs> um, uh, it, this you might become so wrapped up in what you're doing that you might not actually uh, notice that your technology is about to let you down. So that was it was it was an it was an interesting um, side note and one that could become actually quite significant down the track. I'm curious. Um we, we heard so much when about what people couldn't couldn't see um, when they attended the burial site of of Jane Rimmer, and did was he asked was Mr. Taracci asked whether he could see Jane's body from the road? Yeah, he was um, quite pointedly actually, and he ha- would have to be one of the key witnesses in that fact because he was the one with the camera mm. and his basic, his, his basic answer was if I could have seen her from the road I would have filmed it D- uh, despite the failing light and it being c- close to dusk and he was quite he was quite firm in his evidence backed up by the footage that he'd shot obviously that he had to walk into the bush several paces before he could actually get what he what he needed on film and the way Mr. Jovich described it to him today as as he was questioning or cross-examining him about it was probably the best ex- explanation of it we've had so far in that you had to walk in to that little copse by the side of the road, duck under some overhanging vegetation, turn to the left, and then you could see it. Um, and then, then you could quite clearly see um, what was or what did turn out to be Jane's um, body. And there was a clearing sort of in and under that vegetation as you walked in. And we, are, and this, we have to rely on these descriptions, obviously, because we are not seeing the footage as we explained earlier in the week. We won't get to see it because of its sensitive nature and the judge's ruling there. 
So we have to rely on these descriptions, but that is how it was described. And that was how it was then sort of narrated as as that footage was then played to Mr. Tarachi and um, other witnesses um, that came later in the day. And you've just mentioned, as we know, you can't see the footage because of the distressing content. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you hear what was going on with with the footage? Yeah, we could, Shannon. It was it was quite, it was quite loud, wasn't it? The the actual audio um, as it was coming through in in court. Yeah. Um, I think in um, during one of the uh, post-mortem examinations in the hospital, you could hear a phone ringing mm. um, quite loudly. Um, and um, A landline, I have to I hasten to add. It <laughs> wasn't obviously before the days of, uh, of omnipotent mobile phones. Yes, and, um, and um, when the evidence, um, another witness was called, um, we could hear chatter in the background about um, gloves and and um, you know we have to get preserve as much of this as possible and 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 those sorts of things so we could hear a lot of the the background noise so this is just the uh who the officers and the forensics who are Mm. are talking about um what's going on while they're doing it while they're collecting the evidence yeah that's right it was i mean it's obviously a a very fluid busy crime scene but once this actual Tintax operation of taking evidence and forensically moving bodies and things, then that becomes the sole focus and everyone else basically gets out of the way. And that's what we could hear today was the forensic team conversing with each other as they were doing their work. Have you got your gloves on? Make sure you preserve as much as you can. You know, the, the conversation you would expect um, from, from these professionals, um, not necessarily that the things you hear every day and certainly not in this situation where these were two of the most important crime scenes that, that WA police would ever have to um, secure and, uh, and and deal with. Did you hear from any other officers who um, attended to uh, Kiara Glennon's site? Uh, yes, well, we did. Um, so the, this afternoon's witness was a guy called Rob Hemelar, who was a very senior forensic investigator um, and he is also one of the, the few that would have dealt with all these crime scenes um, he he we understand he hasn't given evidence about this yet he probably will tomorrow we understand he was at Kira's scene but his evidence this afternoon was solely focused on Jane's um, the, the scene of, of Jane's discovery and this was where Mr. Tarachi's video was basically played in full to him, about more more than half an hour of it. And he was he was one of the forensic officers in that video doing that work. And so it was very relevant for him to be shown it and to basically describe to the court as it was being shown to him, but not to us, what was exactly going on. So that was the the clearest picture we've got of the actual forensic. Uh, process as it happened in real time uh, and uh, it was it was it was very interesting actually to to hear one of those people who was conduct who conducted that examination more than 20 years ago recalling it via the mr tarachi's video i was thinking at the time tim when i was listening that you almost don't need to to see the the footage um his descriptions of what was going on and what you could see in that vision were just was just so graphic um mm. and just in so much detail that you know you just got a 
yeah, just a vivid picture in your mind while he was talking. Did you get the you, same? Yeah, you literally could if you closed your eyes and just listened to him. You could imagine what what was being played without actually seeing it. And it was also interesting uh, from a uh, you know from a, a person who deals with words professionally and has done for many many years uh, how someone with that forensic training and forensic um, instinct was would, was then being called on to describe what he was doing and he was describing it in a very forensic very detailed very exact way so you were getting that sense of or or you were being able to imagine what was happening without actually having to see it Uh, we weren't uh, he wasn't necessarily being called on to do that he wasn't being asked questions he was being asked some questions as the video was playing but he, he basically took up the role of narrator of, of that video uh, for the half an hour. And as I say, he, he will be recalled tomorrow. Uh, the, well, the second part of his evidence this afternoon was, was then he was shown photographs, or the still photographs that were taken at the crime scene as well. And he, and he sort of described them, not, not in so much detail, but once again, we got the sense of what they were showing without actually having to see them. So, I understand, obviously, if forensics are there and they're filming this, um, mm. they're collecting bits of evidence, whatever that may be, but they also have to retrieve the body. Mm-hmm. Is this also discussed in the video that you can't see but you can hear? Yeah, yeah, pr- pretty much. It was it was the whole process from... So, as we've discussed previously, there was vegetation on top of Gina uh, in would appear in some sort of attempt to cover her so the, the first portion of the video is all that being removed and bagged uh, for it for forensic as evidence forensically that is all described that obviously then leaves jane open to the you know for everyone at that scene to be able to see her we know she was she didn't have any clothes on and so then um it's described how she's placed on carefully placed on a white sheet um, in order for her to be moved but also any evidence that might fall off her during that movement would be captured on or caught on that sheet Um, and then she's basically taken out from the bush area where she was placed on the side of the road some more photos and video is taken and then, as we heard yesterday, she was then transferred into a pristine, brand-new body bag, um, placed in a car belonging to the funeral directors and taken to the state mortuary, where she was then her body was then stored and then the following day a post-mortem conducted. Was it quite... I mean, you know, obviously there was such intense and graphic detail... Mm. Was it quite hard for the both of you there today to hear some of this? It was a little bit, yes. Um, I mean, uh, you know, covering courts for years, you you sort of do um, hear very graphic details, but not to... I've never really heard um, details of, um, you know, uh, a body being discovered and dealt with... um, in this matter before and it has been mentioned before that it's quite unusual for this sort of footage to actually be played in court because it's not usually necessary 
Um, but, yeah, things like, um, you know, you can see the leg here. Now we're panning over the torso area. Um, you know, um, the limbs are here. Um, this part's exposed. And, um, and then we roll the body over, um, things like that. It's just, um, it's just something that you don't hear every day. No. And I guess this goes to what we've been talking about, Tim, as to why we're not seeing this footage and why nobody is seeing this footage in court apart from those that have to. Yeah, I mean, as we discussed earlier this week, Justice Hall's made that call. He's, I don't think, well, not, I mean, no one has argued with it. We never would um, because he's, he's the judge. It is his court and he runs it how he sees fit. I don't think anyone would necessarily want to see it, wish to see it, desire to see it. I mentioned it in, in a previous podcast this week, thinking about it personally and only for the reason of being able to do our jobs properly, you'd, you might um, say, I'd prefer to see it rather than having it described to me. But as Shannon mentioned, the way it was described today, you've got a, an absolute full... Um, measure and description of what's going on. So, you know, after today, you don't think that as a court reporter and someone who's trying to bring the trial to people who can't be in court, you don't think you're going to miss out on any anything in terms of evidence and it, the importance of it from today, if that's going to continue. And given that it's Mr. Hemlar is going to continue giving evidence, it's certainly tomorrow, you'd think that style of evidence is going to um, to continue. From a personal point of view, yeah, it's never it's never easy. It's never, ever easy. No matter how many times you do it, no matter how long you've done it for, Shannon's a lot younger than me, but certainly has enough experience now to, to as she said, it's never easy to hear that thing, those type of things. Um, it's never easy to take them home with you after uh, after a day's work, but it's 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 part of, it's, it's it's part of being a court reporter is 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 having to process these really grisly things and um and then try to bring them to whoever you know the, your audience whether it be on the podcast or in the paper or online or on tv or wherever um in a way that's going to make them understand what's happening in court but you you never want to um gross people out you never want to put the, the you know, material before them that is that is unnecessarily graphic as Ali said yesterday if you do it on TV you might get your license taken okay. off you but you'll certainly um, you'll certainly uh, and, and that's something you learn along the line along the way as well is the balance between being able to tell the story without um, getting too graphic and, and too gross and too grisly I think um, like you just said Tim it's also quite difficult to and something that you have to keep in the back of your mind that although you, you want to give readers you know there's so much interest in this case you want to give readers everything that's said in court but also you have to really think about in the back of your mind that you know this person is a real person she's got a family and that you sort of have to balance that as well like the sensitivities around that as well I think. Yeah and particularly when it is you know, in the context of, you know, you're seeing inside this beautiful young woman's apartment and then you're seeing her in this other scenario, which is just so terribly shocking. So, you know, that obviously makes it that much more difficult to deal with while you're yeah, sitting there. Yeah, I mean, there. That's, yeah, that's, that, that's 
something that you balance up. We've seen, even in the last six, eight weeks during the trial, we've seen Jane in life, enjoying a, a great night out with friends, laughing, drinking, dancing, talking. We've seen where she lived. Um, and today we basically got the grim details of, of her in, in death as well. And that's uh, why why we're here, really, is that someone has, has, has done that to her. Um, and certainly everyone in Perth and Western Australia wants the answers as to who. We've got a question from a listener who um, they were wondering if people from the general public or journalists, police officers involved, um, anyone who's had to identify or who's discovered victims, um, whether they would have received counselling. Um, that's a very good question. I, I, I can't remember it being specifically mentioned in court. Can you, Shannon, about uh, counselling for for the... Um particularly for the members of the public who discovered the, the, the scenes? No, um, that hasn't been mentioned from... Yeah, I can't... No, I don't think it has, no. Because we no. have heard from people who were obviously still quite distraught, you know, some 23 years later. Mm. I can only yes. imagine, yeah. I, I do... I, I can say, though, that in, in other cases, even involving Justice Hall from memory where there has been graphic evidence, uh, jurors that have had to um, uh, go through that evidence have been offered professional um, counselling to be paid for by the state. So there is a precedent there for members of the public who do have to view um, graphic material as part of a judicial process. There is the option there, but whether that's happened in this case I'm not entirely sure, and, and it certainly hasn't been made uh, clear as part of the, the trial process so far. But I, I can actually, I'll, I'll make some inquiries and, and, and see if we can't answer that a bit, a, a bit more, um, you know, a bit more full of a way um, at a later date. Thank you. Um, what was the accused um, doing today? Was he uh, paying attention to the screen or? Yeah, very much so, actually. Um, so earlier in the process, his lawyer, Paul Jovic, had said that Mr. Edwards had no desire to actually watch this, so what's being referred to in court as the sensitive material. But as part of the trial process, he's actually got to be given the opportunity to, to ensure a fair trial. You can imagine... That, possibly a scenario, maybe any trial, where a, a, an accused person says, oh, look, I, d- I don't want to see any of that stuff. You know, I, I've no, no desire to. And then somewhere down the track changes their mind. Oh, I think I actually should have watched it. Couldn't I, I, I should watch it again. And it, becomes, it then becomes a real legal issue. So in the whole process of setting up the court, as we discussed on Monday, Mr. Edwards has been given a, a, a monitor, a, a quite a large monitor that's directed towards him so he can see it. And as I understand it, having seen it myself this morning and talking to colleagues, the footage as it, as it was played to the lawyers on the front of the court, the witness and the judge, it was also played to Mr. Edwards. And as I observed him this morning in particular, he was paying uh, at times quite close attention to that footage of um, the 
scene at Wallard and the scene at Eglinton where Miss um, Glennon was, was discovered. And he was taking notes and taking, you know, quite, quite close interest in it, um, which, of course, as the accused person is his absolute right, he, he needs to see all the evidence against him. And, and, and this is a big part of that evidence. Yeah, and it must be, you know, as um, the defence lawyers have pointed out to us, it must be very, very taxing. Oh, I would imagine so. As Damien's mentioned many times, any any trial is taxing for all those involved, no more so than the person accused and the persons prosecuting and defending that that accused. Um, and the, the, this trial, given its its time, its its length, its the intensity of interest in it, um, it would be it would be exhausting for for everyone. The exhibits today, have you applied for those? No, um, and we wouldn't because basically the judge at the start of the week said, I'm not going to release any of that graphic material and never will. So uh, we want to try and stay on the right side of Justice Hall as much as mm-hmm. we can, given that we're going to be spending a lot of time together in the next months to come. So uh, we try and make the, the, the process is hard enough for him, so we don't want to be piling in uh, applications for uh, evidence that we definitely know we're not going to get. So, uh, so no, no, we didn't, and uh, no, we won't. So today's photos won't be available, but if people would like to see um, the exhibits that have been released, they can head to thewest.com.au for those. Yes, I understand. There's, there might be a link in, in the write-up, the podcast write-up as well. I'm not sure if that's been placed up there yet but if you if you search for Claremont exhibits in the west.com.au um, I'm sure you'll be able to find it via uh, via the, the, the wonders of Google yes you'll also find Shannon's reports there at the west.com.au 158,000 of them, of them <laughs> however many she's written in the last six weeks she's been absolutely prolific Matt. well thank you both for joining us and thanks for your time today and thanks listeners we'll be back tomorrow for day 21 this podcast was hosted by Natalie Bonjolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.